Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. So if you're new here, for your sake, we've been doing a series in our church called Foundation. And in Foundation, we're looking at the foundational principles of Christianity. In particular, we're looking at our own doctrines, our own beliefs. And we felt like we needed to do that because we live in a time where a lot of people don't care much about doctrine or theology. And, uh, and it's, it's something we should care about because every one of us have belief systems and those belief systems have implications to our life. So whatever you believe ultimately will translate into your character and your actions. And that's whatever you believe about God, the world, yourself, your own beliefs about just everything that you engage with will impact the way that you interface with people and you live your life. And so my challenge to us is that we would know what we really believe as followers of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to be sharing with you today uh, our belief, the 10th belief in our belief, uh, Grace Harvest Church beliefs, and it's this. Jesus gave the church five leadership gifts to equip us. And here's the rest of the statement. We believe that Jesus has given five ministry gifts. That's all, folks. (laughs) We believe that Jesus has given five ministry gifts to equip the church to do the work of ministry. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And that all these still exist and are to be manifest in the body of Christ. Amen. We're going to talk about those five gifts today. I want you to see the scripture with me. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 13 is what we're going to look at today. I'll go ahead and read it. And if you want to follow along in your own Bible, you can or it will be on the screen. Ephesians 4. Verses 7 through 13. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. This is what it says. However, he has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Did you hear that? He has given each one of us a special gift through the generosity of Christ. That is why the scriptures say, when he ascended to the heights, he led a crowd of captives and gave gifts to his people. Notice that it says, he ascended. This clearly means that Christ also descended to our lowly world. And the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens, look at this, so that he might fill the entire universe with himself. Ooh, that's powerful. Verse 11, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until all we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. Now that's packed, that's full, there's so much there. I could teach this one section of scripture for a couple of months and we would still just be kind of learning what the apostle is is showing us by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But I wanna focus on two main points today and I want you to go there with me. And the first one is this, Jesus conquered and spoiled sin and evil to give us grace gifts. Jesus conquered and spoiled sin and evil to give us grace gifts. 
When Jesus died on the cross, when Jesus rose again from the dead, when Jesus ascended into heaven, something mysterious, something cosmic happened. Something happened in the spiritual realm and on planet earth that shook up everything in the heavens and the earth. And when that happened, not only did he overcome that which was evil, but he got something out of that victory and he turned around and gave it back to his people. And that's what I want to show you here in the text. And so, again, verses 7 through 10, notice what it says. However, he has given each one of us a special gift. And then it says he ascended and he led a crowd of captives. He gave gifts to people. And he poured out on us the same one who descended is the one who ascended higher than all the heavens so that why he might fill the entire universe with himself. Here's a few thoughts from that. First of all, Jesus has given each of us a special gift through his generosity or through his grace. Now, I want you to do something. I know that we've done these kinds of things, symbolic things before, but I'd just like you to do something with me if you want to. You don't have to. Nobody has to do what I'm asking you to do, but take your right hand and just put it on your heart. If you want to do your left hand, you can too. It's okay. We don't judge any left-handers here, right? And I just want you to say something with me. Say, Jesus has given me a special gift for the benefit of others. Let's say it again. Jesus has given me a special gift for the benefit of others. You know, there's a problem that many of us have that we don't realize we have. If you've grown up in in the church, and if you're not in the church, then hopefully you haven't received this false idea or this wrong idea. But if you've grown up in Christianity, you come to recognize pretty early on that that there are kind of like, you know, tiers or levels. There's the tier of the professional pastors, you know, people like me up here. And then there's the lay people. There's the clergy. There's the congregants. There's the ones doing the work. And there's the ones watching from the audience, cheering them on, right? And we, we wrongly get this idea in modern Christianity that there's this tiered level between clergy and what we call lay people. But the Bible doesn't do that. The Bible instead says this. The Bible says every one of you in this room is a minister, right? And, and so what we'll say is, yeah, yeah, um, the, the minister over at that church, his name's Doug, no, no, the, the minister at that church is put your name on it, right? See, the scripture teaches that you are the ministers, and you do the ministry, you do the work, and that my job and our staff and people who are called to vocational ministry, we're equippers, and what equippers do is give tools kind of furnish you with truth, with ideas, with mentoring, whatever it may be. But the idea is to activate you and get you actively looking around your world and saying, who does God want me to be an instrument to, to bring his grace, his love, his life to today, right now, wherever I'm at, whatever my context is. So here's the beautiful thing. Every one of you in this room has been given gifts from God. And those gifts are to build up others. Now, let me tell you why that's really, really important. Because the other system leads to a number of things. The first thing it leads to is sometimes we pedestal leaders, right? We put leaders in a position that's really unfair to them. 
And I admit, sometimes leaders like it. It feels good to be pedestaled, right? But we put them in positions that are unrealistic and unfair, right? We, we think, wow, that guy is amazing. That girl's amazing. And the reality is, is people that are in equipping roles are just as human as the rest of us, right? And just as prone to failure and sin. And haven't we seen that even culturally in the last several years? The reality is if we pedestal people, we're setting them up for failure and then we blame them when many times we're a part of the problem. So that's one problem with pedestaling pastors and leaders. The other problem is it's a great setup for burnout and for failure and for weariness. Because see, look, if every time in your life you are interfacing with another person and that person tells you they have this need or they're going through this struggle and you say, let me call my pastor or let me bring you to my church and hand you off to my pastors and my leaders, what ends up happening is without realizing it, we continually put a greater and greater burden. When the biblical model is you turn to that person and you at least exhaust with God's help and grace your ability to serve them and minister to them. So they have a financial need. Can you meet it? I mean, if you can meet it and you have the wherewithal, your first prayer is, should I be a part of helping this financial need? Not, let me call our church. Because that's the body of Christ doing the work of ministry. Right? It's when you're not in a position where you maybe say, hey, can I get some help? I'm willing to contribute to this, but at least give it the shot. Maybe they're going through a marital thing. Don't jump on the phone and say, let me call one of our pastors to give marital counseling. The reality is, is if you're a married person, maybe you can share some of your struggles to help this person and say, hey, we struggled with this, and this is how God helped us get through it. Let us share our story with you. See, the, the wrong idea is that we have to fix everybody. We don't fix people. We share Christ with them and what we've learned in our walk with Christ, and we let the Holy Ghost do the work. I never call the Holy Spirit the Holy Ghost. I must have been getting Pentecostal there. <laughs> right? The Holy Ghost. The Holy Most. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, so the, the, the other thing that happens is when you function in your gift, it can be really fun. Like, if any of you ever, any of you ever had that moment when you feel the Holy Spirit flowing through you towards somebody? And like you're praying for him and you're like, whoa, God's in this moment. You're speaking to him and, and you wish that you could be outside yourself recording it because you're like, that's some good stuff right there. <laughs> you ever had it happen? You're talking and your stuff's flowing out of you. And you're like, where did that come from? Whoa. See, you'll never discover that if you're always handing off the work of ministry to the pros. But when you start to realize you're the pros and you're in the game, you're not just in the bleachers, but you're in the game, and your call is to engage and to function and to flow in what God's created you to do. Amen? Amen. Secondly, the Scripture, we're going to get into a really mysterious theological concept here, but the Scripture teaches that Jesus descended and ascended to conquer evil and give us gifts. What does that mean? And sometimes you read the Bible and you're like, what the heck is that? And this is one of those texts that can be a little little weird. And even scholars, even theologians who write commentaries on this are, they have multiple opinions on what exactly this means. So I'm going to tell you what it really means. So a few of you got the joke there, okay. No, I'm going to tell you what my opinion is based upon what I've read and what I've looked at, but 
but it can mean a number of things. Here's what we'll kind of look at it comprehensively. When Jesus Christ was crucified, he's hanging on the cross. He says these words, into your hands I commit my spirit to the Father. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. He said actually seven things as he hung on the cross. I said seven things. <laughs> seven things as he hung on the cross, right? And, and one of them was, into your hands I commit my spirit. And, and after that, there's a lot of debate as to what exactly happened. But one of the things we, we think happened is that Jesus, spirit, the first thing that happened is his spirit went to his Father. But it seems that during the 40 days between his death and his, and his ascension, there was a number of other things that happened. One of them seemed to be that he went into what some call Abraham's bosom or the place of the dead, Hades, and it seems that Hades was broken up into two kind of chambers, and one chamber was for the damned, and the other was for those who had put faith and died in Christ. They weren't in heaven, they weren't in paradise yet, right? And so what seems to have happened is, is there was this place where Jesus went down to those who had died in hope, died in faith of what was to come, and he took them into heaven with him. That's what some scholars think. And as he took them into heaven, he passed, and, and also through his ascension, he, he passed through the heavens into he, the heaven of heavens. And when he did this, the scripture says in Colossians, in the first chapter, that he stripped and he spoiled and he made an open show of the powers of evil that are around the atmosphere of the earth. So the earth has fallen demonic, devilish spirits around it. And these demonic presences, Ephesians chapter 6 calls them principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places. So around the atmosphere of the earth, there are these fallen angels, these fallen presents that bring evil to the earth. And that's where the presence, many times we sense the presence of evil. And it's not just a human thing. It's an actual presence. Have you ever walked into a place, been somewhere where like, you know, the hair on the back of your neck stood up and you're like, whoa, okay? So there seems to be, and I know this is all mysterious and like, woo, stuff that's out there. But listen, isn't it funny? I just want to say this. Isn't it funny that a generation that loves superhero movies, fantasy movies, sci-fi, and loves to just go out there kind of trips out a little bit when you start talking about the reality of the spiritual realm? People are like, I don't know, man. It sounds kind of weird to me. Well, okay, so... So here's, here's the spiritual realm. The, the scripture indicates that as Jesus ascended, something happened where he stripped all those powers of their powers. And it's almost like they were holding on to something that didn't belong to them. And out of those spoils, and the picture is, is, the picture is a, a New Testament corresponding picture to what happened to Israel when they came out of Egypt. Remember when they came out of Egypt that God told Moses, tell the people to ask the Egyptians for all their gold and silver, their earrings, their rings, and they took all the spoils of Egypt and they went into the wilderness and they used those spoils to, to make the tabernacle to God and the wilderness and all these things. So, so it's like they, they were spoiled and what happened is Jesus ascended into the heavens and then on the day of Pentecost, poured out his Holy Spirit along with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit that came with that were these five gifts mentioned here. He gave gifts to people. That's what it says. Is anybody tripping out? And then it says Jesus is filling the universe with himself. 
And one of the ways he's filling the universe with himself is he's filling the earth with his people, full of his gifts, representing him. Are you still with me? Okay. So that takes me to the second point. Let's look at those gifts. Jesus gave us five gifts to equip and build up his church. Verses 11 through 13. I'd like to look at the text of Scripture again. So can we put up verses 11 through 13? Look at it again. It says, now these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and the knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. So Jesus himself gave us these five gifts. He gave us apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Beside our own spiritual gifts we receive from Jesus, we receive five leadership gifts to the church. Now, I know it can be hard to see these five functions as gift, but God, gifts, but God has given these five gifts to your life. And around here, we use what we call the hand metaphor. So, um, so let's just, let's use our holy imagination for a minute. Let's pretend that my, my person, my body is representing the church, the body of Christ. The scripture teaches Jesus is the head from where all the commandments come and all of the leadership of the rest of the body, everything, the nerve system, everything comes from the head. So Jesus is the head of the church, the scripture teaches. And then it teaches that we're all members of the body. So every one of us in this room have functioning parts of our body. Maybe you're a toe or a toenail, um, you know, or something else. I won't go there. But anyway, you're, 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 you're some part of the body and every part of the body is necessary for the mutual benefit of each other and causes the body to be strong. And, and we use the metaphor that these five gifts are the hand, okay? And I'll show you the, the picture here. The, the thumb is the apostle, the pointer finger is the prophet, the middle finger is the evangelist, the ring finger is, is the pastor, and the pinky finger is the teacher. Some put those two gifts together, pastor, teacher. I'm gonna say there are five here because I see teacher listed separately in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. But, but you know, it could be four, it could be five, but we'll just put these two together or separate. But, but here we go, apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. And what I want you to see about the hands is the hands equip and minister to the whole of the body. You clothe yourself with your hands, you wash yourself, you feed yourself. The hands in the church equip the body so the body can go and function. Now, it wouldn't do any good, right, if, if, if I clothed my body and I put everything on and it was able to stand up and walk or run or lift or do many things, but it chose not to because it was waiting for the hands to walk or to hear or to smell, or to do all the ministry. So as you can see, the hands, though they have a very important function, their function is to minister to the body so it can do the work it needs to do. Amen? Amen. So we need all of these gifts to become the people God wants us to be. The hand cares for and equips the body at the direction of the head. So the head's directing the hands and the hands are ministering to the body. Does that make sense? Now, so Jesus gave us these five gifts to equip us to do his work. Equip means to set something right to function properly and to fully furnish or clothe something. Notice that all five of these gifts equip you to do Jesus' work. As I said earlier, the real work of ministry is to be done by you. You each have influence over people in your life, in the church and outside of it. You have a unique calling and purpose to bring ministry to them. So you're equipped, you're encouraged, 
You're built up, you're given tools, you're given theology. Maybe, again, we walk alongside you through some things and and help you through some things. And then you're to take what you've learned, what's been imparted to you, what's been taught to you, and you're to take it out there. And everybody that you come in contact with in your life, family, friends, coworkers, neighbors, people at the grocery store, when you see a need and and the Holy, you know, you're, you're staying tuned into the Holy Spirit through your life, you yourself meet that need and you begin to function as the body of Christ is to function. If you see a neighbor here in this room or you're aware of somebody here going through a difficult time, a painful time, you have gifts and you have abilities and you can ask yourself, do I have what they need? And if the answer is yes, then meet that need. Now, sometimes you don't even know, right? Sometimes we don't know what we have. We don't know what our abilities or our gifts are. So what is our call? What's our quest? Our call and our quest is to go on a journey of discovery, to try some stuff. And you might fall and fail at some of them. You might try a few things and not do well at them. But along the way, you're going to find that thing. You're going to get in that groove. You're going to have that moment, that aha moment where you touch something that's life-giving. And you go, whoa, when I did that, God was working through me. And it, it will exhilarate you and it will be life-giving. And, when you, and you, let me tell you something. When those things happen in your life, take note. That's the Holy Spirit saying, that's what I've created you to do. That's one element of it, right? And so, so imagine, I just, use, again, use your holy imagination for this one. What if every one of us in this room right now found that thing or those things that we were created to do and we started doing them for the benefit of other people around us and then we started doing them outside these doors? What would happen? It would be incredible. Lives would be changed people would be restored. People would be healed. Amen? He gave us these five gifts to build up His church. The church is like a spiritual structure, like a temple. And these five gifts are given by grace to know how to build up the spiritual structure of the church. And they are apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Now, what do those words mean? First, there's apostles. And I I think it's important that I stop here and I mention something. Within Christianity, you may not know this, but within Christianity, there are kind of two camps in all of Christianity when it comes to spiritual gifts. One group are called cessationists. Cessationists believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the supernatural endowments and apostles and prophets and even prophecy and miracles and the gift of faith and discerning of spirits and tongues and interpretation, they believe that those gifts ceased, that's why you call them cessationists, ceased when the Bible was completed. So when the Bible was completed, God didn't give those gifts anymore. And then there's another group within Christianity known as continuists. Continuists believe that the gifts continued through all time. And even though there was a period of time in in church history when the dark ages came and they didn't emerge as much and they kind of went underground, they were still there, always resident in the history of Christianity. Now, the reason we're continuists is because we can find no evidence anywhere within Scripture that the Scripture says those things will end. And we don't define apostles the same way. For instance, apostles, the definition means sent one sent with authority, and this is what they did. This is what their function was. They started, established, and built up new churches and works of God. They went along to existing churches and and, and built them up and strengthened them. They had a special grace to build and strengthen the foundational doctrines and principles of the church that made it stronger and healthier. 
And here's the kick, and they many times moved in supernatural power. And, and here's the kicker. A lot of people say that one of the, one of the, the necessary qualifications for apostleship is that you had to have seen the resurrected Christ. But then when we look in the New Testament, we see multiple apostles that didn't. Did you know Barnabas is an apostle? And Titus is an apostle? And the list goes on and on and on. So what the Bible teaches is that there are many apostles in the New Testament and that apostles continued. And the same with prophets. It's often taught that prophets passed away because we don't need prophets anymore. But that's absolutely not true. Prophets continued in the New Testament. And in fact, when you look back on early church history and early church writings, the, the oldest book we have outside of the Bible is a book called the Didache. And when you look at the Didache, which is actually early second century, so I, I don't remember when it was written. I want to say 110, 120 AD, okay? And so, you know, it's possible that John wrote the book of Revelation in about 96 AD, so maybe just 30 years after, 20 years after. John wrote the Revelation, the Didache was written, and in the Didache, there are specific instructions about how to take care of traveling apostles and traveling prophets, and all the original 12 would have been dead by this time. So what does that tell us? The early church, and you see it century after century, especially in the first four centuries of the church, what does that tell us? We see that apostles and prophets continued in Christianity for the equipping of the church. They were different kinds of apostles, but they still did apostolic work. Does that make sense? You still with me? I know some of you out here, why is this important? It's important for your life and your equipping. Secondly, there are prophets. Prophets don't always or primarily predict the future or give prophecies, but they provide God's mind, God's heart, and God's vision for the church. Prophets also prophesy over churches, individuals, regions, nations, and, and the world. Prophets equip the church with a prophetic and visionary spirit. So back to the hand metaphor, the apostle's the thumb. He can touch all the other five gifts, meaning he has both authority with him and influence with him, but also can function like them at times, and it's the strength of the hand. And then we have the pointer finger, and the pointer finger is the prophet, and the prophet says, you know, over there, we're going there, and look at that, and ooh, there's sin in the church. We need to get this right. We need to fix that. And over there is where God wants to take us. They have vision, and they point the way for God's people with prophetic vision to be able to see where God wants to take the church, amen? The middle finger is the evangelist. It's the furthest reaching. And evangelists equip the church to care about people outside the church, to bring good news to the world around us. That's what evangel means, a good news bringer, okay? So evangelists teach the church and equip the church to have a heart for people that are outside of Christ that need Him, to remind ourselves that we're not a holy club, that this isn't about us, that we don't just exist so we can have good meetings and, and, and learn the Bible and just do our own thing, but we exist also that the world around us might be reached with good news because people need Jesus Christ. And then you have the ring finger, and the ring finger represents the local church pastor. He's married to the local church. <laughs> right? The bride, he's taking care of the bride, as it were. He's committed to shepherd. The word pastor is the Greek word shepherd, poimeno, and it means to lead, guide, feed, care for. So the pastoral heart, a pastor equips the church to care about each other, to serve each other, to minister to each other, to understand that, yes, it is your call to be your brother and sister's keeper, right? So you see each of these gifts. The last one is the teacher, and even though it's a small P 
pinky, it's the balance of the hand, and it's the only one that can really get in the ear real good and clean it out <laughs> so that you can teach it so it can hear what is being said, right? I know that's really cheesy, but the metaphor works, right? And what the teacher does is the teacher makes sure that we don't get into weird stuff, that we don't get away from Scripture. The teacher reminds us that we need sound doctrine. The word sound means healthy doctrine. We need, and what does the word doctrine mean? Just teaching. We need sound, healthy teaching so we can grow and prosper in God and become the people He wants us to be, right? So this is the, the, the hands ministering to the body, giving strength, giving vision, telling us to reach out, telling us to care for one another, and teaching us the right way to go. And when that body of Christ is functioning under leadership from the fivefold ministry, it becomes healthy and strong, and it grows up to become like Jesus wants it to be. Amen. So He gave us, and this is where I end today, he gave us these five gifts. Why? To bring unity. That's what the text teaches. To bring unity, the knowledge of Jesus, and Christ-like maturity. You'll notice up there in the text in Ephesians 4, 11, and 12. Can you put Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 back up there? Ephesians 4, 11. I want you to see it. Um, now, these are the gifts Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers, verse 12. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Verse 13, sorry. L notice that this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature in the Lord. Now, I want you to notice the word until. Other translations say till. So, so here's the idea. Those five gifts have to function in the church until the church comes to this state. And when is that going to be? They're going to function all the way up to the return of Jesus Christ when the body of Christ is fully mature. So apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers will continue to equip the church all through its time. Why? So we can be in unity. You know, there's something really powerful about when the church is getting healthy and strong and beginning to see its purpose and function together. And we're starting to recognize we're together in this. And you, you join arms with other people and you, you realize you can conquer any hill, any mountain. You can reach people. You can love people effectively better together than you can as an individual. So you see yourself moving toward that together. And what happens? You come into the unity of the faith. And then what? The knowledge of Him, the knowledge of Christ. As you, as the full five gifts equip the church and the church begins to function and we start to serve each other and the grace that's on each of them mixes in the body and people begin to serve each other and minister to each other and, and look for needs in each other and become aware of one another and we live under the benefit of the other as that begins to happen. Christ's knowledge in our midst becomes more real. Our eyes are open and we begin to recognize that Jesus is among us and we start to learn of Him more and understand His nature and His character because we're seeing Him displayed and portrayed by the people around us in the body of Christ. And Christ Himself, by His Spirit, shows up and begins to minister to us through, through us. He ministers to us through us. That's the nature of the body of Christ. Amen? And lastly, so we come to Christ-like maturity. Think about that. We finally grow up. One translation says we grow up into the head. 
who is Christ. <laughs> Let me tell you the funny metaphor Paul's using. Have you ever noticed that really little people have big heads and small bodies? <laughs> it's always funny, right? You see a toddler just learning to walk and you're like, yeah, you know they're going to go head first because that's the biggest thing on their body, right? It's like, <laughs> I mean, they're just trying to hold that thing up and it's going down. Gravity's pulling it, right? And the body's small and the head's big. And that's the picture. Christ is mature. He's the head, but we, the body, are immature, right? And so what happens through time as we mature is the five-fold ministry as those five gifts equip us and we grow up and we serve one another and love one another and minister to one another is the body starts to grow and it grows up into the head. And that's what happens to all of us in life. We grow up into our heads, thank God. We'd look really weird if we were adults with giant heads, right? So that's what happens. The Lord blesses us and we grow up into full maturity into Christ. And I want to end with this quote from Constable's Notes. I want you to see this because this is really the heart of God. Gifts are not toys to play with. They are tools to build with. And if they are not used in love, they become weapons to fight with. And how many of us have seen when people get so full of themselves because of their gifts or churches get full of themselves because of their gifts. Paul addressed this in 1 Corinthians in chapter 12, 13, and 14. The gifts were functioning like crazy there, but people were getting proud and arrogant about their gifts and looking down on others because one person was more gifted than the other. And there was envy and all, and it, they turned into weapons. And that's not why they exist. They don't exist so somebody who's really gifted, you know, we can be like, whoa, right? Or we can feel inadequate because somebody else is good. Well, instead, we recognize my gift is to bless you. Whatever I have is for you. It's not for me. And if I began to use it wrongly for my own recognition, fame, whatever, that's dangerous. That's why I often think we see big-time preachers, well-known, that really get pedestaled, why we see them fall. Why? Because they get full of themselves and people help them. Oh, yeah, you're everything. Uh, right? And before you know it, they're leading a personality cult. And then they fall because they're not meant to carry that weight. But when we recognize, no, no, the gift is for my equipping. The gift is so I can grow. The gift is so I can learn and pass on what I've learned to others around me. Then the body starts to get healthy and strong and grow. Why don't you stand with me? Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org.